Hi folks, this is Bob Main, and you're listening to another episode of today's Survival Show. Episode 135 to be exact, where it's my goal to talk about doing what you can with what you have, wherever you are. This is a very practical show. I don't get real tinfoil hat on you. I don't talk about far-out theories and things like that, and I don't get crazy with a bunch of conspiracy stuff. All I do is keep it rooted in common sense and just talk about everyday preparedness ideas. Just in case something should happen. And boy, folks, isn't there a lot of craziness going on in the world right now? I don't know how anybody could deny that. But again, I'm not going to go wacky on you. I'm just going to keep this rooted in common sense. I think if common sense takes over, then if it takes over now and if it takes over even after a disaster, I think you're going to be okay. So this show is going to be two interviews. I'm going to take two very good interviews I've had a chance to do recently and combine them into one show. So you're not going to hear me talk much on this program because I have two very knowledgeable people that I recently had a chance to talk to. They are listeners to this show, and they've got some excellent ideas. The first interview is going to be a gentleman talking about medicine. Now, he's not a doctor. I'll introduce him to you here shortly. But he's going to talk about storing medicines, and just some medical tips, some things that you need to know about first aid and so forth if there is some type of a disaster. Uh, his name is Matt Brasick, and he is the founder and the instructor, the lead instructor at Midwest Disaster Medical. And that website is MidwestDisasterMedical.com. So he's going to join me here in a little bit. It was a pre-recorded interview. And then after Matt, I will introduce our next guest, and that's going to be talking about real foods. Uh, you know, learning to eat properly. And both of these interviews kind of go hand in hand. You know, if you don't eat properly, you're going to have some medical problems. And after a disaster, sometimes you're not going to be able to eat properly. So you need to know how to handle those medical challenges, and that's what Matt Brasick is going to talk about. My second guest is going to be Kimberly Sweet. Uh, her husband, Tom, and her family listen to this show, and uh, Tom Sweet recently emailed me and said, Hey, my wife is an expert at nutrition. And, uh, you know, boy, that got my attention because I'm really big on eating right. And so Kimberly is completing her master's degree in holistic nutrition. And I think you're going to get a lot out of that, too. So uh, a couple of quick announcements real fast, and then I'll get to both interviews. First of all, the website, todayssurvival.com. If you want to get a hold of me, one of the best things to do is to send me an email, bob at todayssurvival.com. I love comments, folks. I am an open-minded guy. Uh, you know, folks, I like to know how to improve this show. So if there's a way I can do it, please get a hold of me. Also, join our forum. If you're not signed up for the forum yet, go to todayssurvival.com. There's a forum button on the main page there. And uh, become a member of our forum. We have excellent people there that like to talk about great ideas on how to stay prepared. Okay, so that's it for the announcements up front. I don't want this to get too commercial. So let me go ahead and bring on my first guest. His name is Matt Brasick, B-R-A-S-I-K, and he is with Midwest Disaster Medical. It's a company that he has founded, and he's not sponsoring the show, but I do want to dedicate this episode to him and his company and his efforts, Midwest Disaster Medical. I will put a link to his 
website if you want to take some of his classes. He's got some excellent classes coming up. He's up there in Wisconsin. So if you want to get to you know one of his uh, uh, seminars and so forth, then you'll be able to just go to the show notes and click Midwest Disaster Medical, and uh, it'll get you right to his site. Without any further ado, here we go. Just a quick sound effect, and uh, Matt Brasick, Midwest Disaster Medical, will join me. Stay tuned. All right, everybody. Well, for the main topic of this week's show, I have another interview. I've got Matt Brasick, who is the uh, the founder of Midwest Disaster Medical, and his website is MidwestDisasterMedical.com. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great today, Bob. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm looking at your website here, and it says uh, you've been in the medical field since 88. You were an EMT. Then you became a registered nurse. Uh, and uh, and also a street paramedic. Uh, then you took a position over at University of Wisconsin Hospital as an instructor, instructor uh, as a paramedic, right? A paramedic instructor, yep. Great. And uh, so uh, Matt's a fellow Wisconsinite, and it's great. And uh, his classes are up in Onalaska, Wisconsin. I've been to Onalaska one time in my entire life. Well, refresh memories. Refresh the memories of listeners as to exactly where that is. Uh, Onalaska is uh, is on Wisconsin's uh, beautiful west coast. Uh, it is the former home of the old style brewery. Uh, so, uh, if you remember from your early days in Wisconsin, that that can be a big deal with all the breweries in Wisconsin. And uh, I'd like to take this opportunity, Bob, to say anytime you want to leave a state uh, with a strong commitment to self defense and great barbecue and warm winters, we're happy to have you back up here in Wisconsin. Yeah, you know what? I would love to go back to Wisconsin. I really would. You know, my job brings me here to Texas, and for as long as I'm working this job and this line of work, you know, but I tell you what, if something equivalent were to open up back in my my home state up there, I uh, don't think I would hesitate to try convincing my family to uh, to move back. I, I sure miss it at times, I got to tell you. Oh, it's... Uh, it- it's uh, quite a change from Texas, I would imagine. Uh, you know, I love Texas, and I love, I love the South. It's just the heat I can't take. The heat is nasty. It really is. Sometimes I would rather have the 15 below, I think, than, than the 105 that we get here in July and August. Sometimes well, I think I'd rather deal with that. Well, the joke is you can only take off so many clothes, you know, when you're hot, but you can always add more layers when you're cold. It, so <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, um, thanks again for joining me. So just to let everybody know, I sent Matt some questions in advance some things that I thought that people might want to know and so we're going to kind of talk about disaster medical here as the main theme so uh, let's get started all right sounds good okay one of the first questions that I emailed Matt ahead of time is what type of supplies that preppers should start packing uh, to take care of extended periods when there's no medical help available uh, that is a that's an excellent question, and uh, I'm I'm going to do a little weasel on you, and I'm going to say that the most important thing that they can pack uh, is is training and hopefully some experience as well. Um, you know, that's not exactly something you fit in your kit, but it's something that you can fit in your noggin. Uh, there are a uh, a couple of places um, for really good training. Number one, I think the Red Cross does a fantastic job. 
Um, yes, they do. Their first aid course is it's about six hours, and uh, they take you through. Uh, at least when I was a Red Cross instructor, I didn't put that on the website, but uh, I did that for a while. Uh, they teach the CPR through the bandaging, through how to deal with, uh, you know, poisonings and electrocutions. And, and obviously that is a, uh, just hitting the high points of all of those topics. Um, but sometimes that's all you need. The, uh, the next place that uh, would be a decent place to get training is uh, some of the wilderness first aid courses. Now, these courses, as I go along here, are, uh, um, you know, they, they have a little bit different focus. The Red Cross is is pretty much for lay folks. Um, that is, people who don't have any, really, any duty to respond. You're not being paid for this. Um, it's just uh, training to help you and your, your fellow human out. People uh, like me. Exactly. Exactly, and uh, I, I just can't say enough good stuff about the Red Cross's program. The, the next program that folks might be interested in is a, a wilderness first aid class, and these are put on by different, uh, different outdoor groups usually, so you'll get uh, the, you know, the hiking club or sometimes a, a hunting club, a rod and gun club will put this on. This is about 12 hours worth of training. Uh, so it's usually over, you know, two or three days, maybe a long weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. And what they focus on is a little bit more of a delay uh, to help. Um, so with, with a Red Cross training, most of the time, one of the first things you do is call 911 and uh, uh, depending on where you are, the, the ambulance is there pretty quick, you know, within 10, 15 minutes. Um, right. So the wilderness stuff focuses on, okay, well, you know, this, this, the response time of help is going to be a little bit longer. Um, and so that's, that's a really great course. And if you, uh, if you have the opportunity, um, I think that is a good way to get some additional training. And the last one uh, that folks may wish to consider is uh, the first responder training. Um, here in Wisconsin, it's a 40-hour course. Uh, most of the time, uh, this is paid for by whoever the first responder unit is. For instance, I live in a, a very small town, uh, 15, 20 miles outside of uh, Onalaska, Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the town is about 1,000 people, and the first responders are all volunteers. Uh, mm-hmm. As I mentioned, it's a, it's a 40-hour course, and the first responder unit uh, will pay volunteers, well, pay for the volunteers' education. Um, and it, it's, it's really sort of uh, wilderness first responder and, and first, I'm sorry, wilderness first aid and Red Cross first aid on steroids. They do a lot more training, as you would imagine, in 40 hours. Um, and, uh, and, and it's good to, to check around. The little uh, town that I live in, actually, at one point, I was talking to the, uh, uh, the manager of it. At one point, they went door-to-door in that town of 1,000 asking for volunteers. Please, come be on the first responder squad. No so, kidding. Yeah. Boy, I would have I volunteered right away if, oh. that if they'd have come to my door. Yep, and uh, most of the time, you know, they'll, they'll give you a pager, and they say, uh, you know, when it goes off, the first three of you to the, to the first responder building can jump in the big old Suburban with a, with a light bar on top and, uh, and go out. Some places have, a, a, you know, a roster and a schedule that they set up, but uh, they're all mostly good folks just, just trying to take care of their neighbors uh, the best they can. Now, I want to get your take on this. So if someone were to do that and volunteer and take that training, don't you agree that that's, that's a terrific survival prep? 
I think it is an outstanding survival prep. And let me go one step further here. Aside from just the training you receive, the uh-huh. real gem here is the experience. You know, when you're dealing with someone for real having a heart attack, not an instructor standing up in class and saying, okay, I'm a heart, I'm a heart attack victim. Look, my face is blue. When you're for real doing it, uh, you know, I think, I think it drives that training home and it gives you it gives you ownership of those skills and uh and joining a first responder squad and having some uh experienced people there with you man they're your training wheels they're not going to let you do anything wrong uh they're going to they're going to bring you along until you've got your confidence and uh i i think that would be just an outstanding uh, survival skill well, and you know, as the old saying goes, there's no better teacher than experience. Exactly. And and that's terrific. So what do you think of the three most important skills that preppers should know as it relates to medical care after a disaster? Because I know that's what your, your specialty is, is care after a disaster. Yeah, well, um, the, the disaster aspect is, is really something that uh, Midwest Disaster Medical focuses on. You know, uh, it, we formed this company uh, because we noticed that a lot of preppers have, uh, you know, 30 days worth of food, but they've got about 10 minutes worth of first aid, uh, either in their bag or in their head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, because most of the first aid training is, you know, just you try and soak up the bleeding while you're waiting for the ambulance to get there. And, and really, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that in a grid-up situation. Um, what we were sort of aiming for is, is, is what to do when, uh, when help is, is going to be days or weeks or maybe, maybe never coming. Um, so the, the three most important skills that uh, off the top of my head uh, is going to be the ability to keep a cool head. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, Bob, with, uh, with having experience. Mm-hmm. Experience helps you, helps you uh, gain that cool head under pressure, doesn't it? Exactly. You know, it, it, uh, it, when I was working in the emergency room at first, when I first graduated nursing school, uh, you know, heart attacks and people coming in with, without a pulse and we're doing CPR and starting IVs and putting tubes in throat, and that was all very exciting. When I had done it for 12 years, it got to be sort of routine, you know, not, not that I didn't try my hardest, but, you know, I, I had seen, you know, 200 of these, and so the experience let me function on a little bit, uh, you know, perhaps higher level than if I was all excited about it. And I think that can happen to preppers as well. If they get some experience in some of this stuff, um, you know, they, they won't have the emotion clouding their intellect. So the experience is one skill. What would be another? Um, I, would, I would recommend the ability to take care or repair wounds. Uh, this can really prevent some problems down the road. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every, uh, uh, for instance, uh, I know uh, Ghost Rider, uh, that, what was that, podcast f- uh, 49 and 59? I think yeah, his name yeah, his name is Chris Harper. He goes yeah. by Ghostwriter. He and I have done two or three uh, podcasts on it. Yeah, you know, and and I have uh, I've listened uh, to all of those podcasts, and uh, I think he did a fantastic job. 
And, yeah, uh, he's wh- good. He, he really is. And one of the points that I'd like to sort of expand on that, that Chris mentioned uh, was, uh, was debreeding a wound or cleaning out a wound. You know, every speck of dirt that looks like just a speck to us, it's like the MGM grand for germs, you know. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a huge source of infection. So we want to be just super careful uh, with cleaning out a wound. And uh, Chris mentioned uh, uh, cleaning it out with, uh, with some water, and he mentioned some stuff about uh, some iodine in the water. Really, if you can find some water that's clean enough to drink, um, that's mm-hmm. clean enough to, to clean out a wound with. Um, and Chris didn't mention exactly how. I think I'll, I'll take the opportunity here to point out that uh, a syringes are, are really a good thing. I would find myself a, a good 20 or 30 cc syringe and uh, fill that up with clean water and just uh, uh, spray the heck out of it. You know, one of the docs that I worked with uh, has a saying, the solution to pollution is dilution. So, oh, so that's good. Yeah, so he rinses the heck out of all these cuts and stuff. Uh, we live in farm country, so especially if uh, a farmer comes in who is working on a piece of equipment in his field, and and you know it's a it's a really dirty wound. We really we really wash the heck out of that thing. The solution to pollution is dilution. That's I like correct. That. Yep. <laughs> so I like that. <laughs> yeah. So that's just one aspect of of wound care that will really set you off, uh, set you uh, on the right path. And actually, washing a wound well is more important than having antibiotics to take care of the infection later on. Because if you yeah. do a really good job of cleaning out that wound, your odds of actually getting an infection are, are much diminished. Yeah, pre- uh, prevention's better than trying to uh, fix it. You betcha. Ben Franklin said it. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah, I know it. So, uh, And that applies definitely to disaster medical. Definitely. Uh, one of the other things that uh, folks maybe uh, would benefit from is uh, the ability to recognize and treat some common ailments. Um, and this is this is knowing... You know, when to jump on something and when not to jump on something. Uh, even something as simple as a sore throat. Uh, in, uh, in my line of work, uh, we see a lot of folks who come in to see the doctor for a sore throat. Well, you, you know, most of the time, if people have a cough and a runny nose and a sore throat, a lot of times that is a, it's a viral infection, you know, not strep throat, which we can cure with antibiotics. Uh, so right. just, just hints and tips uh, about that kind of stuff. And uh, at Midwest Disaster Medical, you know, the, the course is not, uh, you know, we've got 20 hours. We certainly don't try to teach people to be physicians in 20 hours. Uh, you can't. No, no, and it, it would be foolish to, to think we could. What we uh, have tried to do is to to do the most with the least. Um, we've got 20 hours. How can we best spend that time to give you maximum return? What are the common things that folks should be looking out for and how to take care of them? So in your 20-hour course, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, sure. Is it broken up like into two or three different days? Yeah, it's, uh, it's two 10-hour days, and those are admittedly long days. Uh, but uh, most folks are able to uh, get a weekend, maybe a three-day weekend off, and uh, it's, uh, it's easier to do it that way uh, for folks who have jobs and, and uh, are, are not, don't have the financial resources to be a full-time prepper. <laughs> 
Yeah, see, I'm so glad we're talking about this because, you know, right away early in the interview, you said something that was real critical. You know, you said what's in your noggin, what's in your brain is just as important as what you have in your bug out bag, for example. And the great thing about what you know, you know, is what you know doesn't take up any room to pack. That's right. It's very light. It's very, it's very lightweight and easy to take with you. And, you know, everybody knows if they've been listening to me long enough, I'm a huge proponent of training, training of any kind, as long as it's good quality training. And, uh, and you know, you, you certainly provide it. And I'm glad that you're, you're talking about this. So you touched a little bit on what type of training that you offer. Let, let's take a family of four, for example, husband, wife, couple of kids. What, what do you think, that, what should be their number one priority in terms of, of training for for medical care after a disaster well i think uh and i i alluded to it earlier i think you just can't beat uh the red cross first aid courses i would say that would probably be priority one um okay they're 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 available all over the place and almost every town of any size has got a red cross chapter um look those good folks up and see when their next course is and sign up for it you know, here where I live in Frisco, Texas, it's called Collin County, and there is a Collin County first responder course. I think they do it three times a year. I missed the last one because of a job commitment, but I think I'm going to go through the next one, which I think is coming up in May. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's certainly that's certainly a next step up. You know, Red Cross First Aid, as I said, is six hours. First responders, at least around here, is 40 hours. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but it's a lot of good training. And, and, again, once you've got that training, that's your key to, to actually volunteering and uh, getting some experience under your belt as well. So for the, for the family of four, I would say certainly start off with the Red Cross uh, First Aid. Um, and, and that will stand them in good stead in good times and in bad. You know, if it's uh, mm-hmm. you know if it's a trip to Disneyland and somebody falls and scrapes their knee or whatever, um, that will help take care of you. And uh, you know, if a hurricane comes through, certainly you've you've got at least the Red Cross training to fall back on. Yep. Um, to go up the ladder a little bit, uh, you know, we talked about the the first aid training. Um, I'm sorry, the first responder training. There are definitely some sources uh, um, on the web that provide, you know, kind of some some additional information. Uh, I don't think there's, uh, aside from uh, the course that uh, Midwest Disaster Medical puts on, there's also Chuck Fenwick's course uh, with uh, a medical corps. And his is uh, uh, the same, only different. He, he has a maybe a little bit different focus than Midwest Disaster Medical. But that is certainly some additional, uh, more advanced training. And once again, this, uh, this training uh, that uh, Midwest Disaster Medical provides is for a sort of a long term. This is when, this is when the ambulance is not going to be there in, uh, in an hour or two hours or even three days. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. For people that might not get a chance to get to Western Wisconsin to take your class, um, I know you said the rest Red Cross training and things like that. Let's talk about some actual supplies for a minute. I know that that Chris and I have talked about it on our show, but it's okay if you want to be uh, you know repetitive a little bit. What do you think that preppers that want to prepare for the long term absence of medical care? What are give us like the top three or four that come to mind of supplies that they should have in their kit? Sure. Um, 
and and again just so just so folks are aware this is this is a longer emergency this is not necessarily stuff that you would have uh you know around the house and for use every day but this is when you know that help is not going to come for a long time um right first first is an easy one uh i would say if you are on any medications long term you need to lay in a supply of those um, Absolutely. Um, I have a, a lovely bride who who t- needs a, to take a certain medication every day, um, and uh, we when we were planning for our disaster plan here, we we thought, well, what are we going to do if we're not able to get to the drugstore? Um, and so we came up with a plan that included to, talking to uh, our physician, and luckily the medication is generic. So he mm-hmm. wrote us a paper prescription. We did not involve the um, insurance companies at all. Um, I don't know if folks know this, but uh, Walmart and Target stores have a $4 generic list. Um, Yeah, they do. Yep. And so we were able to get uh, six months worth of my wife's medication uh, out of pocket, and I think it cost us less than $20. And so, of course, we rotate through that as well. That's another big point. You can't just throw this in the cupboard because medications have a shelf life. It happens to be longer than most people think, um, but meds do have a shelf life. And so we just kind of stack the bottles up, and when we when we fill the prescription, we put it in the back of the line, and, and she takes the medicines from the front of the line. You know, Matt, I'm glad you brought that up. Let me throw out an example. I don't mind saying this publicly because it doesn't bother me. I have a thyroid condition, and so I take Synthroid. And Synthroid's one of those at Walmart and a lot of uh, pharmacies that I can get a six-month supply of it pretty cheap. And I'm always going to have to take that the rest of my life. So I've got a pretty good stash of that right now. Yep, exactly. And uh and the the $4 list is i think for a 30 day supply but they'll do a 3 month supply for 10 bucks i think um yeah um, they charge me 12 for whatever reason okay. but uh yeah, um, but uh, but do go online to Walmart's website or Target's website and see if if you are on a medication that uh, that you need to take every day or that you rely upon. Uh, see if you're able to to get a generic for inexpensive and do talk to your doc. You know, most docs are all about planning ahead. That's why they watch your blood pressure and that's why they tell you to watch your cholesterol because they're planning for the future with you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, certainly if. Uh, it may be a bit of a different story if you have chronic back pain and you take a lot of uh, narcotics. You know, uh, uh, understandably, physicians are a little a little more concerned about writing someone a six month supply of narcotics. Um, and and odds are you're not. Gonna, you're probably not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, no. you're, you're not going to get that probably. No. Um, but uh, you know, talk to the doc and uh, and uh, let them know what your concerns are. And uh, odds are that uh, at he or she will be willing to help you out with that. Yeah. All right. So medicines. What else do you okay. think people should be stocking up on? Well, um, aside from from their own prescription medicines, uh, I think people ought to have a, f- a full drug cabinet full of uh, some of the, some of the over the counter stuff. Because realistically, I mean, unless you are on a prescription medicine, most of us get by just fine with the stuff that we can buy over the counter in the stores. So Tylenol and Motrin and Sudafed and uh, if Sudafed is a, a antihistamine, that's the one that now you have to, in some places, show your driver's license for. You know, yes, you do. <laughs> unfortunately, because it really works for what it's made for. 
um, uh, anti-diarrhea medicine. Benadryl is another big one. Um, it's a it's an antihistamine. It both uh, it can help with sleep. It can help with allergic reactions. Uh, for those of you who are allergy suffer- sufferers, that can really help uh, with uh, decrease the allergy symptoms. Um, and, and another one here that's over the counter that folks may not think of is uh, I, I put a nod in here toward uh, bulk forming laxatives. Uh, Ian, Say that again? <laughs> yeah, crazy, huh? Bulk yeah. forming laxatives. Laxatives. Bulk forming laxatives. Yeah, All right. stool softeners, essentially. Yeah, okay. Now I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so when. Uh, when things are bad and uh, you are not really eating the diet that you may normally be eating, right? So preppers mm-hmm. are, are famous for th- uh, laying in a lot of beans and a lot of rice and, and perhaps not eating it. Well, if a disaster occurs and you, you need to break into that bulk wheat and bulk beans, uh, you know, your, your insides may work a little bit different than, than you're accustomed to. Uh, some of this stuff can can really help uh, ease some of the pain, and this is especially true with with uh, with children, because sometimes they don't do exactly, uh, you know, they don't do what's smart. You know, adults can kind of hold their nose and do what they need to do. Um, for children, it you know, it's hard to say, you know, you need to drink this extra water. So um, I would suggest maybe having some, uh, oh, perhaps even go so far as to get some children's. Uh, the suppositories, the stool softening suppositories, or some Miralax or something like that for them. It's not really a lot of fun to think about, but uh, but I think you, uh, if something happens and you're forced to uh, to to change your diet uh, drastically, uh, you may be thankful that you did. You know, Matt, thank you. On my computer, I have this little folder that I've entitled um, Survival Supplies to Get. And so I just opened it up while you were talking, and I just added that stool softener <laughs> idea in there. i got to get that. You know, you're right. It's something we don't like to think about. I forgot about it. You just reminded me of it, so thank you very much. That's And after a disaster, you're right. Our, not only is our diet going to be screwed up. But our way of life is going to be screwed up, and not only are we going to be eating things we don't normally eat, but we're going to be very stressed out, and uh, that you're right. That could be a very important thing. Yep, and, uh, and it, it takes so little preparation now. I, I haven't priced a, a bottle of uh, Metamucil lately, but I can't imagine it's that pricey. And, uh, you know, I bet you would pay 50 times that if you really needed it. <laughs> Yeah, and again, you're talking about yeah. Of course, it'd be worth it'd be worth a hundred dollars a bottle, wouldn't it? For sure. <laughs> and you're talking about when there's a long time that may pass before medical help shows up, exactly. or if ever, if ever. Right. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not a bad uh, not a bad medicine to have in the cabinet. Uh, one of the other ones that uh, folks may wish to consider is some of the uh, the oral. Um, numbing medicine, oragesic, or um, anything along those lines. Um, although Midwest Disaster Medical doesn't teach a whole lot of dental stuff, um, I I have had toothpicks. Tooth, uh, boy, listen to me. I have yeah. toothaches in the past, and uh, boy, you know, there's there's no kind of pain like dental pain, and uh, and having a little bit of a numbing agent uh, can certainly help out with that. 
Yeah, even that stuff that we use for babies to help numb their gums. Yep. Uh, I bet that would help, too, to have some of that. St- What's that stuff called? Um, you know, there's Oragel. Um, Oragel, yeah. and, you know, it, yep. it's, a, it's facial tissue Kleenex. You know, there's lots of different brand names, and I think the active ingredients are all about the same. Yeah. Um, the other one that folks may wish to consider is uh, actually some Primatine Mist. Um, Primatine mist is sold for folks who have asthma to kind of open up the air passages. Well, the active ingredient in Primatine mist is, in fact, adrenaline, epinephrine. Um, mm-hmm. if, uh, if you have a situation where you, and once again, folks, this is sort of when, when help is hours away, uh, if you have a situation where someone may be going into anaphylactic shock, that's, uh, that's the severe allergic reaction. Um, the, the primatine mist can or could be used uh, to avert that simply because it is epinephrine. I didn't know that. Uh, yes. Uh, each, each puff of the primatine mist is 0.22 milligrams. Now, the dose that we give and what most EpiPens give, at least for the adults, is 0.3 milligrams. Um, but remember, our delivery systems are a little bit different. The EpiPens are intramuscular. The primatine mist is you're actually inhaling it. Um, so I would, I would be okay with giving two or three or four puffs and, and see how you go from there. And then reach for that Benadryl we talked about earlier as well. Exactly. Ah, learn. See, that's one of the reasons why I love doing this show and having people like you come on because I learn something every time I, you know, get get an interview person on here or I or I do some kind of research. I learn something. I hope everybody learned from that. I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, and and I do need to put the caveat in here that that most of the time when I've run into folks with a with allergic reactions, I have always used the injectable epinephrine. I personally have never treated someone. Um, who is having an anaphylactic reaction with a primatine mist. I just have to say that out front. Um, yeah. But uh, in uh, advanced cardiac life support, which is what uh, doctors and nurses sort of use as a guideline, um, it is in the protocol to give medications down the breathing tube if you can't get an IV in. The lungs are right. very good at absorbing um, certain medicines, and uh, the epinephrine, adrenaline, happens to be one of them. I have seen that done before. I don't want to elaborate when and who it was, but um, it was a family member of mine who oh was um, who was in uh, intensive care, and they were giving breathing, or excuse me, they were giving uh, medication through the breathing tube. Yep, it's uh, it's sort of one of those uh, uh, other ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so that so you just gave some good ideas as to you know some basic supplies that don't cost much that people could stop stock up on. Sure, and and that's just the medicines. Um, you know, I think people would be would be well served um, to have obviously a first aid kit around. And and here's my here's my thought about that. You know, uh, the Soviet general uh, Sergei Gorshkov used to have a sign on his office. It has been said uh, that says perfect is the enemy of good enough. And I think we, <laughs> I think we fall into that habit. You know, I, I'm going to build myself a really cool, really complete first aid kit next week. Well, a week after that. Well, a week after that. Folks, right. just, you know, go online and spend, you know, 30 to 50 bucks and at least have something. 
get a first. At least, yeah, that's better than nothing. Exactly. So don't don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough. Good stuff, huh? I was taking a lot of notes, and uh, I've added a lot of what he's talked about to my medical supplies list, and I'm going to revamp my first aid kit after talking with Matt. Now, there was a lot more to that interview. There was about another 15 minutes or so worth of good information on there. Matt did want me to clarify something, though. There was a slight inaccuracy, and he emailed me and told me about the slight mistake that he made in the show, in the interview, excuse me. Uh, Let's see, I've got it in the email here. He said when he was talking about the bulk-forming laxatives, such as Metamucil, he says, I think folks would be better served, Bob, by storing a stool softener such as Colace or a hyperos... I can't pronounce this. A a hyperosmotic type, such as Miralax, which he thinks he mentioned. He said it was keeping him up at night. Hey, don't worry, Matt. We all make mistakes, but thanks. So get some some Colace... Or Miralax, uh, if you're going to be storing that. And uh, Matt, thanks for sending me that correction. Okay, the rest of that interview, folks, if you have not yet purchased your copy of my Survival Champions Club premium podcast, join the club. Join the club of people who want just a little extra. And uh, the rest of that interview, Matt gives some really good medical tips on there. And it's going to be included. The, the interview in its entirety is going to be on the Survival Champions Club Premium Podcast. It's optional, but it's a way for you to support my show. It's only $15. Go to www.todayssurvival.com. Click the Buy Now button. And if you want a brief description as to what's on that podcast, just uh, click the Champions Club Podcast link up at the top of the page, and I'll give you a description on that. It helps support my show, folks, and uh, it's a way for you to give back. Again, 15 bucks. Think about where else you waste $15. I've also got more on there from Matt Chusnick. Uh, on the knife and tool sharpening episode. Remember I had him on here uh, talking about knife sharpening and tools and stuff. We got into a few other good topics, and and he's on that, so you'll hear that interview in its entirety, plus some extra feedback and so forth from listeners and uh, emails and things that uh, I've... I'm sharing with listeners. It's a, it's a great podcast. I think you're going to like it. It's about two and a half hours worth of good stuff. You're not going to be able to listen to it in one sitting, I don't think. But that's okay, because uh, you can store it anywhere you want. And uh, once you get a copy from me, folks, do whatever you want with it. I, I really don't care. It's yours to keep and yours to spread around. Once again, today's survival.com And click the Buy Now button or click the uh, Survival Champions Club podcast link up at the top of the page. All right, next up is, uh, boy, this is, you know, both of these interviews are so fantastic. Kimberly Sweet joined me recently, and as I mentioned earlier, she is completing her master's degree program in holistic nutrition, and you'll learn more about her background when I get to the interview, but this is some really good stuff on how to eat right. Folks, I'm a big, big believer that you are what you eat. And see, survival starts now. Don't you agree? Preparedness starts now, before something happens. That's what I want to motivate you to do, is think about how do you mitigate some of the damage that will be done when there is some type of a disaster. And I'll tell you what, as good as we are at storing food, it's still going to be difficult for you to eat right. 
after a disaster. Furthermore, your body is going to be under a lot more stress, folks, if there's some kind of, uh, of an event that happens. It doesn't have to be a worldwide disaster, or it doesn't even have to be this big cataclysmic event. Even if it's just a lot of stress that's been put on your family recently because of some, something that's happened. Sometimes we don't eat right. Well, if we're well-nourished ahead of time, if we're paying attention to seasonal foods... See, after I had a chance to talk to Kimberly, now I'm, I'm paying more attention to seasonal foods and eating foods when they're in season. And there's a reason you want to do that, and I'm not going to steal too much of the interview. Kimberly's going to talk about that, but I didn't think about that. See, that's a prep I really didn't think about doing. But, you know, your body needs certain nutritious certain nutritional elements, excuse me, during certain times of the year. And so Kimberly's going to explain that. Okay, so let me uh, just say thanks in, advance to, thanks in advance to Tom and Kimberly Sweet for this excellent interview. So real quickly, another real f- quick sound effect here, and then I'll have Kimberly Sweet, my second guest for this show, talking about nutrition and getting back to eating real foods. Stay tuned. Okay, folks. Well, for the main topic, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this interview. I'm being joined by a listener uh, on, to the show. Her name is Kimberly Sweet. How are you doing, Kimberly? I'm doing great. Good. Thanks for coming on the show. You know what? Uh, we're going to talk about getting back to eating real foods and uh, you know, a little bit about organic foods and holistic foods, and I'm really excited about this. I'm glad that you decided to come on the show because this is a topic that I'm pretty passionate about, and uh, I was kind of raised that way, and so I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Well, I, I'm excited to talk about this, too. These are areas that I have read and held close to my heart for the last probably 15 years, really trying to get on to the bottom of what is going on in this country with our health and also with what's happened to our food. So this is definitely a topic I'm very passionate about myself. Yeah, and it's a great topic because I think it's very much a survival topic. And, you know, you know I, my approach to survival and preparedness is that it, it's also about what you're doing today, not just when you know, some kind of a disaster strikes. Would you agree? Exactly. And I think um, tying this in with the whole survival uh, movement and the survival um, issues that you talk about on your podcast is that if you look at survival, I think the other aspect is food. Food plays a big um, part into the survival. What are we going to do when we need to really rely on our own health and rely on these foods that we're bringing in, these real foods? Yeah, yeah. Well, tell the listeners a little bit about your background. I think it would be very important if they hear it. Well, currently, I am a stay-at-home mom, and I homeschool an 8-year-old boy. We, When I first started in, in school, I, I had an interest in clinical nutrition and started into that program, but became a little frustrated, and that I, I ended up actually getting my degree in speech-language pathology and worked in that area for a few years. Now that mm-hmm. I'm at home in homeschooling, I, I recently have gone back to school in holistic nutrition and um, long-term goal working towards my doctorate, but currently I am in a master's program in, in holistic nutrition. Yeah, that's great. And you're joining us from Colorado, right? Yes. All right, uh, boy, this is, you're coming into one of a, one of the best times of the year in that part of the country. 
Yes, we definitely do see a nice springtime season here with uh, the trees are blooming and the weather is nice and, and mild and, and warm and not don't think we're expecting any snow soon. Yeah, well, good. Well, well, Kimberly, thanks. You know, the first question I want to ask you is seasonal food eating. What does that mean? I know that, you know, there are people that have heard that term before. I've heard that, but I'd like to hear what, what your take is on that. What does that mean and why is it important to us? Seasonal food eating is, is first of all, let me say, is something that we are so far from and we just don't understand with our convenience of being able to get a food that's 1,500 miles away and finding any food any time of the year and having access to that. Seasonal food is a really, really important aspect for our overall health and being able to have the availability um, within our own close means of access to food. Seasonal mm -hmm. eating means that you you eat the food within your region. For instance, I live in Colorado, you live in Texas. The foods that are in season for us are gonna be a little bit different, maybe a couple months off. Um, and eating seasonally really plays a big, big impact on our health. For example, when you think of wintertime foods, you think of you know, your, your tubers and like your starchy potatoes your uh, your winter squashes and eating a lot of soups and stews just seems really warming to your body and makes you mm -hmm. feel good. But there's actually a real, I guess, reason that plays in harmony with nature, with eating foods in season. The reason why we would eat those foods is there are actually nutrients in those foods that are specifically found in those foods that are not found in other foods um, that help to build your immune system, help your body to deal with colder weather, helps mm -hmm. your body to prepare for uh, fighting off those, those colds in the flu season. Um, and it's really interesting because when you then move on to the foods that are found seasonally, for instance, in the springtime, uh, we have foods like asparagus and... Um, we have our, um, like apricots and we have some strawberries and cherries and avocados. And these are things that actually have detoxifying nutrients in them. So, really? yeah. So if you think about it, when you eat seasonally, it's almost like your body's getting nutrients that help your body to rotate with those changes in the climate, the changes in the, in the seasons. And if you, you know, in the, in the winter, we're kind of, maybe we've put on five pounds, which is a natural thing that happens with these heavier, dense foods you would eat in the winter. Mm. And in the summer, uh, I mean, in the spring, after that winter, having the lack of exercise circulation through your body, um, you want to eat these seasonal foods that you find in spring because they will help to naturally detoxify your body. They have natural detoxifying properties in them. So give us an example of how someone can figure out, first of all, what are the seasonal foods for their area and where do you find them? Well, there are some websites that you can go to. Um, one thing you can do is when you go into Google, if someone were to do a Google search and type in the, the search term, seasonal food crop calendar, 
And then seasonal food crop calendar. Okay. Then for instance, put in like I live in Colorado, you would put Colorado and you will more than likely find several websites that will tell you what foods you can find that are in season for your particular state. And it's very important to stick to as close to your state as possible because your body is going to need those nutrients to acclimate to those changes of temperature within your general area. Now that's interesting. So give us an example, like you're in Colorado, so give us an example of what are you focusing on eating right now? What I'm focusing on eating right now is going to be, um, we have, I don't, there are some strawberries that are coming from, say, California that are, that are in season there right now, but I tend to kind of ignore those and look more for some of the, the, uh, the other fruits that are, that are coming into season, um, such as, you know, rhubarb isn't really what someone would consider, consider a fruit, but it does have some of those sweet, sweet, similar properties as a fruit, as well as cherries. Uh, yeah. Cherries would be something I would look for, and apricots. Um, and then for vegetables, um, in Colorado, a lot of the farmers do, an, like with the, the root vegetables, they do an early planting, and, a, and, a, and which would plant, which you would have access to those in spring or early summer, and then they do a winter planting. So in spring in Colorado, some of the fruit uh, uh, vegetables that you would think of as a, like a fall vegetable mm-hmm. are also available in the spring, like beets and cauliflower and carrots. Um, all of the greens, like your Swiss chard and your um, uh, like cabbage and, and sugar snap peas and spinach. Okay. What kind of nutrients are you getting from those right now that are going to help you adjust to the upcoming season? The nutrients are specifically what, within each specific type of fruit or vegetable, what is unique to each fruit and vegetable are going to be like the bioflavonoids and the vitamins that are specific to those. Um, Specifically, you're going to have some vitamin C and some trace minerals, but the bioflavonoids, which are the little pigments that give each individual fruit and vegetable their color, have very specific types. Of, of immune factors built, that are built into them as well as cancer-fighting in, anti-inflammatory properties that are specific to the bioflavonoid chemical that are located, the, you know, the colored pigments inside of each fruit and vegetable. Yeah, that's good. That's real important, the, uh, the anti-inflammatory properties especially. Yes, the anti-inflammatory properties, um, especially in those, the, like the spring Fruits and vegetables are going to really help in detoxifying the body and getting it ready for, for an active summer where we're more active. Um, so then, when we move into the to the summertime, seasonal fruits and vegetables, it's really interesting because when you look at your seasonal list, you will notice that they are all very wet foods. Mm-hmm. So from the beginning of, of of humankind, or even now. In the summer, we tend to get dehydrated easier. Um, we really get want to have a lot more water, and we're out in the sun. Um, so some these fruits and vegetables have a very, very high water content compared sure. to the rest. So they actually help to keep your body hydrated. 
they have a perfect balance of, of uh, potassium built into them that helps your body to hold on to those nutrients. Excellent. Well, you know, something else that you mentioned that you wanted to talk about, and I think it's a really good good uh, subject here, is I'm sure there's people that are wondering, that are listening to this, how do they make that transition from a, a processed diet towards more of the organic whole foods or the seasonal foods? That's a good question. Um, this is definitely a, a big passion of mine that I certainly may continue to really focus on consulting with, with um, people about. And that is understanding when we go back to talking about what is real food. Well, real food is looking at foods that have come from, from nature that we have had access to since the beginning. And when we talk about being able to transition, why would we want to transition? Well, when we look at our overly processed foods and our, our standard American diet, there's a lot of problems with that. Yeah, there are. And, and I mean, I, I could go and go on and on about that. But the bottom line is, is I think people really want to know, what do I do? What are the biggest changes that I could make? And that's what I call transition, is that you can't expect someone to go 100% organic or to go from eating this processed food to just never eating it again and eating the whole food version all the time. Right. If I were to choose some transitional steps that were to say these are the most important things you should focus on for your overall health. I would say the the first most important step is if you consume dairy, that would be the biggest thing I would say to go to at least change to eating organic. And the reason why is because with the thousands of food pesticides and chemicals found in our, um, you know, our food industry, the, the dairy is at, is close to 80% of those pesticides are being used, uh, not obviously not directly on the dairy, but with, with the cows that uh, we're getting our dairy from. Really? Yes, and the, one of the biggest problems um, that gets transferred to our fat cells is when the fat of dairy consumes these toxins, it gets into our fat cells. And our body okay. is very toxic. So, Man, you're starting to scare me because I eat a lot of dairy. Well, isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, dairy is great. But see, that's why I'm saying this is a very important transitional step is to move um, over to organic dairy. Yeah, okay. Well, good point. So the, the next step, I would say, would be um, to really change to whole foods. Now, a lot of people have a probably a different understanding of what a whole food is. But a whole food is a food that you find in the closest sense to nature. Now, let's say, for instance, you have a grain, like a wheat berry. That's a whole food. But here's an example of a whole food that is okay to be processed. If you have a, like a wheat berry and you take and you process it into flour, that is very minimally processed, but the point is, is that it's still intact. You still have every part of that wheat berry. You have the germ. You have the um, the bran. You have the oil still in there. When you consume a white flour, it has the only property. It has the oil is gone. The enzymes are gone to help you to digest it. 
the fiber is gone and your body does not know what to do with that. So when your body gets the processed white flour inside, the cells don't know what to do. And this is a big factor in Mm -hmm. um, insulin issues, diabetes, obesity, inflammation, arthritis is when your body consumes food that it does not recognize. Really? So those are that's a contributing factor to those types of diseases. Absolutely. The uh, the one of the biggest factors in the increase in diabetes and insulin resistance is in fact the uh, refined and the processed uh, sugars, meaning your white flour, the uh, the processed sugars that are you know your white sugar. Um. The body does not know what to do with that. Hmm. Um, so then the, the next factor is going to be, of course, to try to move to organic as much as you can. And I know that that is definitely becomes an expense. Um, but yeah, but what? Yeah, what I would say for if you were to really focus on what fruits and vegetables to really focus on buying organic. You can look at what they call, you know, the dirty dozen. Um, the ones that are consistently most contaminated. Uh, Ooh, which, which, which ones are those? That is going to be, let's see if I can do this in alphabetical order off the top of my head. We have, we have apples, anything in like the peach, nectarine, apricot family. Then you have cherries. You have your greens. So like your lettuces and your spinach. Then you have your pepper family. Uh, Then you have grapes, especially imported grapes. Uh, Mm -hmm. Grapes are one of the most contaminated items. A lot of times I see grapes coming from Chile and I just say, okay, I'm going to pass them up because they're very, they're very contaminated. Um, So in, in, I have, let's see, I have, a website that you can go to to find a list of those. Yeah, great. And if you if you go to the website called, let me see here. Um, try to remember. Okay, if you go to www.foodnews.org. Foodnews.org. Yes. Food okay. news, all in word, dot org, and it lists the twelve fruits and vegetables that have the worst contaminants. Okay, and for all the listeners' benefit, I'm going to put that in the show notes, so you can just go to todaysurvival.com and just click that link. Correct. Lists the twelve food groups that have the most contaminants, right? Yes, the twelve fruits and vegetables, and so just quickly, there are peaches, apples, strawberries, nectarines, pears, cherries. The berries, so red raspberries, um, and imported grapes, and then spinach, peppers, celery, potatoes. Okay, man, I tell you what, Kimberly, you're uh, <laughs> you're hitting all those foods that I eat, <laughs> and it's like I'm I'm listening to you and I'm going, oh man, I tell you what, and I know this has got to be a gradual process. We can't just do this all at once, can we? We can't, and that becomes very overwhelming. And I've seen many times where people just get so overwhelmed with having to make all these changes that sometimes you just don't want to do it because it yeah. is overwhelming. Uh, 
So in, in the other area where it would be important to get organic, especially if you're really going to be consuming a lot of grains, and I know a lot of listeners store a lot of grains, um, is your your uh, your wheat berries and your other grains because they have quite a bit of contamination too. A lot of our grains are becoming a really scary source now with all of the cross-contamination from the, you know, the, the GMO seeds. And we really want to be sure that our grains are, are organic. And I do know of a couple really, really good websites. I know that listeners have probably found some that they buy their grains from. Mm-hmm. But I do have a couple of really good websites where you can get grains in bulk, organic grains in bulk for a really, really good price. Um, and one of them is going to be Azure Standard. So that's A-Z-U-R-E and then S-T-A-N-D-A-R-D.com. Okay, I just made a note of that. I'll, I'll look that up and put that in the show notes too. And then the other one is Montana Wheat. So it's Montana okay. as in the state and then wheat.com. Okay, good. Good. I'll put that. Now I'm, I'm going to take a look at those websites, and then I'll also put those links in the show notes. Uh, this is, you know, this is good stuff that you're talking about here, as far as the cross contamination. You know, when I was a youngster, my mom was a big organic gardener, and she believed in raising us organically. And I've gotten away from that, unfortunately. But I have to attribute a lot of my pretty decent health these days, mm-hmm. I think, to the fact that my mom paid attention to this stuff when we were growing up. That's a really good point, and as you say that, it makes me want to mention something really quick, is that we, with our genetics, we hear all the time, oh, we don't have a choice because, you know, it's my genetics, and I'm predisposed to this particular disease or this particular illness, but what's interesting now, what we really are learning about genetics is that actually our phenotype, which is our combination of genetics and our environmental factors have more impact on our genet our our genet on our main genetics. So for instance, if you as a child like like you were saying really had good nutritional support when you were young plays a huge impact on the way your genes play out. Mm-hmm. So if you are like your lifestyle factors, so if you're you're eating well nutritionally, that is going to overpower the genetic code of what you were born with. Really? If you have poor lifestyle factors, eat bad, the genetic code will present itself. It will become very strong in some of these precursors to these illnesses that, unfortunately, our genetics have, will show forth at a younger age. So, in other words, if, if, if one is predisposed to certain types of diseases, poor eating habits will probably make it more likely that they'll get that disease, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and at much a younger age, and you can halt those effects or even almost like put a masking tape on your main genetics if you continue to place your body in such a way that it's constantly being nourished with foods that your body recognizes and it will hold back per, per se those those um, those poor genetics. Yeah, and you know, Kimberly, if I can throw something in here, I think what what you're saying is is so important for a very specific reason. 
I think it's important because if we eat healthy now and we stay healthy, keep ourselves nourished and keep our bodies strong, in the event that there is a disaster, uh, good quality foods, unless you've stored up a lot of them, might be pretty hard to come by. So I think it's probably going to make it easier for people to weather the storm, so to speak, and be healthier and have more energy uh, if, if some kind of a disaster strikes. Let's say it's a temporary disaster. Let's say it's hard to get to decent food for three weeks or four weeks. Um, I think that uh, you know by being healthy right now, it's going to help us mitigate the, uh, the effects of that disaster. Would you agree? Absolutely, and that's a very good point. If you start building up your immune system now through eating whole foods, Focusing on the um, trying to minimize the toxins as much as possible and eating a real traditional foods diet, you really will empower your immune system to be able to deal with the stress of having maybe struggling with trying to get food or in a situation where it's not as ideal. Um, and one of the, the other factors that that I would like to bring up that's really important about preparing yourself for for stressful times is the next transition in in a real food diet is going to be fat. Now, this is this is a very interesting topic. We have probably most of most of the America that, if I were to say, eat fat, eat a lot of fat, people would be look at me with their mouth open, like, what? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> fat, traditionally, and when you look at indigenous cultures, was the key factor that helped them to survive cold, stressful times, times uh -huh. of lack of food, um, times when they had to really, really work hard to hunt and find uh, their source of meat for the next few months. They consumed a lot of fat, and each culture was able to find some source of fat no matter where in the world they lived. And fat is an interesting topic when we talk about saturated fats. Mm -hmm. We have come so far from really understanding the purpose of fat and good fats. And the mm -hmm. reason why I mention this is because another source where we're getting fat is from our animal foods. And there's a big concern, which is actually a skewed concept about saturated fat from animal meat. But the true reason is because the actual type of fat that's located in, say, a commercial, a commercial beef, you know, where you have these cows that are standing within inches of each other and get no movement and eating, you know, these grains and genetically modified sources and getting fed pesticides, that's what I call a tainted fat. It's a damaged mm -hmm. fat. So when we consume these damaged fats, um, it's the fat is in a much different form than, say, the grass-fed fat. So the fat that is from a grass-fed wild animal or pastured cows. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we hear about, oh, this this, the fat is bad and the saturated fat is bad and don't eat a lot of don't eat a lot of meat. The reason why this is being pronounced is is because the fat within the first of all the the, the non-organic meat or the non-pastured meat 
is what I call a damaged fat. So, okay, what does that mean? A damaged fat meaning that it is not in it's not the intended way that the fat is supposed to be without going into too much detail when you look at the pathways in your body of of fats what happened is we consume so much omega-6 and omega-9 and I'm sure you've heard of the talk about trying to increase our omega-3 fatty acids yeah, I have heard about that. But what's happened is that the fat from these commercial animals have almost absolutely no omega-3 um, conjugated linoleic acids in the within the meat um, and within the fat. When you have a grass-fed a grass-fed animal or a wild animal, there is a lot, a lot more conjugated linoleic acid. The fat is able to go move down the omega-3 pathway. And, and what's the benefit of that? The benefit of that is that um, our diets traditionally had a higher ratio of omega-3 fatty acids in them than the omega-6 and 9. And the benefit is that um, it helps with fighting heart disease. It helps with your regulating your, your insulin response. It helps with uh, your brain function, so it's going to help with naturally with depression, people who are very anxious. I know we have such a habit in this culture of being so anxious and feeling a little depressed and feeling overwhelmed, but really improving our omega-3 fatty acids has been shown to help with those factors. Yeah, that's big, and that is big these days. You're right. So, the, so I would say that... The next step in doing in a transitional diet is going to be to at least be able to transition from from just going you know out to Walmart and buying your 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 hamburger meat to going and trying to find an organic source of of meat. Um, then your next step would be, um, of course, to find a way to have like a quarter cow share or a half a cow share. I know my family we we have a we purchased a quarter share last year and we're actually thinking we're going to get a half share for only 3 of us. <laughs> oh yeah, well when I was a kid we used to buy a half share and let's see there were 1 2 3 4 5 of us. Mm-hmm. And uh it, it it you know surprisingly that half share did not last as long as we thought it was going to. <laughs> I know, I'm surprised too cuz we sure do eat a lot of it especially knowing that that from the the beef source that there's a lot of omega threes in it, and the 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 chicken the poultry is is different because organic chicken is really expensive. Oh yeah, it's very expensive. I mean, you know, there is an organic store near me called Sprouts. Yeah. And I do go there occasionally, but wow, the prices are high. And you know, a lot of preppers, a lot of us are on pretty tight budgets these days. Right. So right. what would you what what would you suggest? Are there any ways that that it, to make this transition that's easy on the wallet? Well, like I said, if the transition as far as the, the organic foods is if you can try to stick to what's called the dirty dozen, that's a good start. Yeah, uh, which you covered earlier, and, uh, and I'll post the link to foodnews.org. The other thing would be is if you really try to focus on eating seasonally, you're going to find that some of the better grocery stores like Sprouts, like King Supers, um, 
some of your, your local grocery stores do really like to try to purchase foods from your state. I know yeah. I go to my grocery store. Um, they do purchase local local sources of, of fruits and vegetables. Um, and if you purchase foods that are in season, you will find, especially organic, that it's almost just as cheap as the non-organic source. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are a lot of local grocery stores here in the Dallas area that, that do try to purchase locally or at least from this region as much as possible. Correct. And then the other op- the other uh, sources that might help, too, if you check out a website called FarmersMarket.com. Okay, let me make a note of that. FarmersMarket.com. All right. You can find a list of local farmers markets, and it that is a really good, especially if you're in an area that has a lot. Of, some farmers markets are pretty small, and they just some some of them like to sell their their local honey or their local you know jelly for more expensive than you would buy in the store. Mm-hmm. But there are some really good ones out there where the farmers really come in and and uh, bring their their current harvest in, especially if you go at the end of the day, they'll give you really good deals. Good tip, good tip. And I've heard of FarmersMarket.com, and I'm, I'm glad you reminded me of that. The other option, and this is what I used last year to find my local um, community shared agriculture uh, co-op, was if you go to a website called eatwild.com, Okay. Then another one called localharvest.com. Okay, eatwild.com mm-hmm. and localharvest.com. Correct. Then okay. you can find sources of local, like, community shared agriculture. Where I live, we had a shared agriculture, um, I guess it was like a family share. So it was this huge bucket of produce that was organic from a local, a large local Colorado farmer, um, and it, we picked up food once a week. Mm-hmm. And it, it really forced me to learn how to cook what was in season. I had wow, okay. so many greens, and I was like, what am I going to do with <laughs> What am I going to yeah. do with all of this? So pretty much the community shared agriculture is so big right now that I am pretty sure that most larger cities will have a large enough farmer or an organization that pulls food from many different local farmers and there's pickup points where you can go to pick up your food once a week or however often they set it up. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to start doing more of that. I think, let's see. Oh, you know what? There was something else that, that you had mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about, and that's, uh, that's you know tips on how to start using stored grains and how to rotate them. Yes, I know, and I know many of the listeners probably have several, several pounds of one particular grain. Mm-hmm. One th- and, and it's great because it's so much better to have those, have access to those and not have to rely on buying them um, in the store or to buy flour already ground up. Because once you grind up the flour, unless you freeze it, it goes rancid. Um, the oils become tainted. Um, right. It makes it become rancid. And the, the the stored grains, what I do so that I can keep my grains in rotation is I, I have those, you know, the five-gallon buckets and those lids that come on them 
that are kind of you can never get back on and so I take the the gamma lid and I put the gamma lid on there then I continuously scoop a couple pounds out of that container put it in um, a plastic container upstairs in my kitchen and we we grind it we I mean we have a grain mill and we continuously grind our flour then once you grind it you you should immediately put it in the freezer so you can continuously rotate your your grains this way I don't know how often you know or how how much um, each individual family would would go through the flour or the grains but we just say once every couple months I I call it a a grain grinding day and I grind all my grains I label my containers and I put them in the freezer okay so you got a, a grain grinding day yes and then when we when I when I cook then I just go and I get that flour that's already ground up and then once that's almost gone then I take from you know from the, the five gallon bucket and I get a couple more pounds worth and that way I'm continuously rotating it then when the when that five pound or five gallon bucket is about halfway gone, then I can move on to to my next one, to the mm-hmm. next five gallon bucket, and that way, um, it they're continuously being rotated. There's a fresh supply. Um, yeah, you're keeping that rotation going that way. That's good. Right. Good. Well, you know what? This is this is highly informative, uh, Kimberly, and I appreciate it. You know, uh, we're we're getting close to. I don't like these to to go on too long, and you are packing a ton of great information in here, and I appreciate that. And the listeners are going to appreciate that. So we got a few minutes left. What in closing? What would you like to leave people with? I would just like to say that the overall the importance of really trying to return to real foods. Uh, that your body can understand and your body knows what to do with those real foods that are whole foods, that are uh, organic sources of dairy, that are um, animal sources that have, you know, eaten on on grass that are natural sources, because this is going to be the best way to really be able to improve and maintain your, your overall health and your immune system. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I mean, there's so many people that have uh, immune system problems and autoimmune disorders and so forth. Correct. You know, and it sounds like a lot of this can can really help. And it's just, it's baby steps, basically. It sounds like what you're saying is just, you know, start with the the dirty dozen and just kind of work your way up. Correct. And one more example, which I think I I spoke with you about this, is when when you look at eating a whole grain, a transitional step, like I mentioned with you about going from the instant oatmeal to, you know, the the rolled oats, the old-fashioned rolled oats. Mm -hmm. Then the next step would be the whole grain source for oats, which most people don't realize, which would be like the steel-cut oats, which is the actual oat grout. So if you move, that would be an example of a transitional step with a whole grain would be from Again, from the, the instant oatmeal to the old-fashioned rolled oats, which have been flattened and the outside layer is removed. Then transitioning into that actual whole food, the real food, which is the steel-cut oats. Mm-hmm. Good. Good tips, Kimberly. I appreciate it. 
Sure, you're welcome. This has been great. And uh, once again, uh, just in case uh, uh, someone didn't catch it the first time, before I before we sign off, explain to everybody a little bit about what you're doing on your master's degree program. My master's degree program is actually in holistic nutrition. And actually what holistic nutrition is, is looking at the body as a whole and the factors that affect our body, not just nutrition, but the environment, um, our lifestyle factors such as as exercise and how those interplay together. But holistic nutrition is really healing the body through food. Um, food first, supplements next, um, but really minimizing as much as possible, um, putting uh, synthetic foods into your body as well as synthetic medicines. Yeah, great. Um Excellent. You know, Kimberly, thanks again for coming on the show. This is this is terrific stuff. Um, I learned a ton. You know, one of the reasons I like to do these interviews and get people on with all this wealth of knowledge is because I am kind of a big uh, nutrition guy, and, I, and I, I, I try to eat as well as I can. It's hard because I travel so much. I almost have to carry some food with me that I want to eat. Right. But, uh, but I've learned a lot. This has been great. That's great, and I'm very happy to do this. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And uh, you know what? Be thinking about a part two because I'm sure there's listeners that are going to have some questions. Absolutely. And uh, I may even start a thread about this on the forum and, uh, you know, listeners can post questions on the thread. That sounds great. And I would be very much happy to discuss, you know, the topic that the listeners are really focusing on. If there's more information or the next step they want to know, I would love to help them in that way. Well, before I sign off, let me throw out the invitation to anybody listening to this that has some questions. I will put a thread on today's Survival Show Forum about this. So the best thing to do is post your questions to the forum. Then that way I can take a look at them and everybody can take a look at them and chime in. And then maybe we'll do a part two in a couple weeks. That sounds great. Great. This has been Kimberly Sweet, everybody. And uh, uh, good luck on your master's program. And thanks for coming on the show. You're very welcome. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, there's not a lot that I can add to those two terrific interviews. So as I get to my destination here, and by the way, folks, I've been doing the intro and all the in-between stuff. Uh, I've been recording from my car here as I'm driving to a business appointment. And I'm almost there. I'm almost ready to go in and try to sell something here. So... Like I said, man, there's not much I can add to that. I really hope that you enjoyed these two topics. So that's a good time for me to sign off, folks. My name is Bob Main. You've just listened to another episode of today's Survival Show, where it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I didn't make that up. Teddy Roosevelt said it. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.